Thank you for tuning in to The Grammar of Grief with your host, Uma Girish, the show that is dedicated to creating a safe space to discuss the big life questions around grief, loss, death, and dying. Now, here's your host, Uma Girish. Welcome to a new episode of The Grammar of Grief. If you've been a listener of this podcast, you know that I say this a lot. Grief comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not just about the death of someone you love. The loss of a limb creates grief. The loss of a pet, the end of a relationship, the loss of a job, moving to a new geographical area. All of this brings about grief because loss comes in different shapes and sizes. And that's where my guest today comes in. So let me begin by introducing Mary Alice Long, and then we'll dive into the conversation and get to know her a little bit better. Mary Alice Long is the creator of Play Equals Peace and a play-based, depth-oriented mentor, creative coach, artist, writer, and speaker. She earned her PhD in clinical psychology with an emphasis in depth psychology at PGI. You can find out more about her work and play at playequalspeace.com. That's P-L-A-Y-E-Q-U-A-L-S-P-E-A-C-E.com. Playequalspeace.com. And also MaryAliceLong.com. Welcome, Mary Alice. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much, Uma, for inviting me. My pleasure. So I'd like to start by having our listeners know a little bit about your journey and how you find yourself where you are. I know you're working on a memoir about your your story of being a surrogate mom. Can you share a little bit about the circumstances that led to your decision to become a surrogate mom? Sure. Um, Well... Uh, many, well, at this point, I'm 64 years of age, and when I, w- I was a surrogate mom at uh, 34, 35 years of age, so some time ago, and um, previous to being uh, a surrogate mother, I gave birth to my own three children, or my first three children, I should say, that I raised and um, I was a single mom at a very early age and uh, quickly decided uh, after having my son, my second child, uh, when he was a baby, that I wanted to go back to school. And then I ended up full-time back into, at that time, nursing school after doing parenting education and education with uh, childbirth and breastfeeding and so on with parents. And I was wanting to be, at that time, a midwife. But it didn't quite go that way. And I um, ended up in a master's in social work program. And, uh, and, uh, and during that time when I was um, contemplating uh, the social work program and going into advanced education, I also decided to be a surrogate mother. and. Um, 
the why to that is there's so many, there's many reasons, but one of the top reasons at that time was that I worked with high risk women who in pregnancy who wanted so badly to have children, but often were having great difficulties in having their own biological children. And, um, and so day in and day out, I witnessed these, these families' difficulties. And so um, around that same time, I started to work with a, another, a new psychotherapist. And this psychotherapist quickly started to tell me about her own, her own infertility problems and kind of turned the table on me and started telling me about her um, and I, because I had such great empathy, I asked her if she would like me to be a surrogate for her, not really knowing her much at all, nor did I know her husband. And she talked to her husband and came back and said, yes, we'd like you to be a surrogate for us. And that's how it all started. Wow. To me, it sounds like a wonderful decision. Someone who has tremendous amounts of empathy um, can can do something like this. But it's also very momentous and, um, you know, many layered. It's not a simple, quick, easy decision. It's a many layered decision in my view. So what was the grief like? when you were in this moment of having to give up the baby? Because you know, and I know this, no matter how well you prepare for something like that, for that moment when when you have to surrender something, whether it's, you know, it's a parent who's dying or a child you have to give up, the reality when you get there is quite different, isn't it? Yes, it is, Uma. Um, so what happened was, in answer to your question, um, when I gave birth to my son, um, I was visited by my obstetrician at the time, somebody that I actually worked with. And he, um, said to me, Oh, I, I imagine you'll want more babies. And I didn't really answer him at that time but I knew that that wasn't the deal for me. And I went home from, I had had a cesarean before I'd always had vaginal deliveries with my other three children. And this time I needed to have a cesarean because uh, my baby was breech and the doctor felt more comfortable delivering me that way. And so I went home after a stay in the hospital. Um, and when I sat down, with my own, with my, the children that I raised at home, I knew right then and there that that wasn't what was important to me. I was feeling depressed and I was also feeling this uh, realization that I was supposed to help people create. I was supposed to help myself create something new and it meant more than just one thing. And, I, and um, that was the start of my journey to what I do today and for myself and to help other people to play and create. Right. So when you went home, um, I'm guessing you were overcome 
and overwhelmed by a sense of emptiness because when you go home from the hospital as a new mom, you go home with your baby. And so I cannot even begin to imagine how heart-wrenching it must have been for you, although you knew that there was the surrogacy aspect to the whole thing. It must still have been difficult for you to go home. What did your children say? How did they respond? Did, did they even come into this decision-making um, how much did you share with them? Those are the questions that are coming up for me now. Yes. Well, at the time, I explained to my children who were at the, that time 9, 11, and 13 what was happening, or I tried to. But after the fact, and especially now after writing about my experience and the postpartum of my experience for many years, I... Um, I know that they couldn't have, they couldn't understand what was happening. They knew that um, I was pregnant. Uh, mm-hmm. They knew that I spent time away doing something with another, you know, some other people, um, and that there were some difficulties during that time for me. But they didn't, they didn't really understand, and. Um, because I'm writing, um, I've been writing a memoir, memoir text for many years and sharing my story. I've asked my children as adults, what do they remember? Mm. And uh, they've all dreamed about their biological brother um, during the 30 years that have passed since his birth. Um, and they remember little things like Philip, uh, my son remembers, um, me sitting in the bathtub pregnant (laughs) and, but it's very, they don't, they, there isn't a lot of, um, they feel as adults, they feel things about it, but as children looking back in their childhood, they don't remember a lot. As far as what I, I, when I went home, um, I felt, I definitely felt like I hadn't thought through, um, I then, after a time, I realized I hadn't thought through what I would, what it would be like <laughs> after I went home mm-hmm. and what feelings would come up. And for a long, as I started to write about my experience and I wrote my, um, doctoral dissertation on surrogacy and did a dance video that reflected my story as well. So two different types of dissertations. While I was doing that at the beginning of it all, I couldn't even talk to people about it. And one of the students I worked with said, well, I remember standing in line for something. And she said, well, if you can't talk about it, you can't write about it. And that really kind mm. of rang true to me, and I need, and I knew I needed to uh, face the shadow and really start the pro- that grieving process for myself. That um, probably in large part I had I had done some work, definitely, um, mm. and had uh, been drawn back into my dreams and dream play. Um, but I hadn't done the deepening I've done at this point and I needed to do it in order to really dive in. Mm. 
So um, because I've done that work, I now feel um, I'm, a, I'm, di- I'm a different person in many ways um, mm. than I was. I'm a stronger person. I'm a more balanced person. I'm a more grounded person. Um, and I help other people in those ways to help to have those things for themselves as well at this point. So it's interesting. It's interesting that you're working on this memoir and I'm wondering, does time and distance give you a different perspective? In other words, as you go back and revisit that time in your life, are you having moments of, um, awakening or, um, sort of a the lens shifting differently and you're seeing things differently from the perspective of distance and time is that happening um let me think about that uh i think memory is an interest i mean anyone who writes memoir would and I've read many memoirs and I've read many people talking or, you know, writing about their memoir writing experience as well. Um, and all of us in that wonder about memory. What is memory? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so um, for me, uh, as I am with this, a memory is what is in the moment. So it has changed, and um, of course, my life has been evolving. And so, and the different people I've talked to about my experience, the different performances I've done around my story, the writing, all of that has changed my memory. And so, what is important to me is not so much of the going back, but what comes to me now about it. Um, because that's what I have. I'm it's in mm. the moment. And I can't really know if what I remember is, quote, the right, <laughs> you know, yeah. exactly. It's not a literal thing. And so what, for me, what's important is what I know, na- what I know in, in me now, what I carry and also, um, at this point, just this year, I'm, I was able to talk to my son, my surrogate son, and for the first time since he was a newborn. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. So I held him in my arms before because the parents were, the adoptive mom and dad were supposed to be in the delivery room, but because I had a quick cesarean, they weren't there. And I had... Uh, through one of the nurses I work with, the opportunity to hold him and talk to him as a newborn. Mm. And I've written letters to him that were never sent that are in the book, in the memoir. But I have, this is the first time I was able to talk to him. And so our first conversation was, um, he left a voice message So I got to hear his voice. And then we had a two hour conversation. And um, so that has changed also how I feel about um, my experience as well. There's a lot said in that two hours. Wow. That must have been such a special moment where you connected after almost three decades 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's just around his his birthday. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, and it turns out he's going through a lot of a lot of difficulties, and um, so which saddens me that he has to go through mm. some of the things he's going through right now. Um, and also, um, a very key experience happened to me that. Um, well, that in itself is another big step in the journey. But uh, my son, my 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 other son, uh, my son I raised, uh, married a couple of years ago. And what happened? We got together, uh, both families, both sides of the family, in a house mm-hmm. uh, before the wedding, preparing for the wedding, getting to know each other. And I started to cry and I kept, I cried. I not only cried, Uma, I sobbed and I sobbed and I mm-hmm. sobbed and I couldn't, I didn't know what was happening. I just knew that it was something very important that my son, you know, here he's getting married. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I kept saying to him, Oh, I'm just, I'm just so happy for you, honey. And, and it's true, I, I am happy for him and, and was celebrating, but here I was sobbing and I just looked horrible, you know, I'm like <laughs> red faced, you know, horrible, horrible. And um, I couldn't stop crying and I was to walk, my, his dad was not part of the wedding. And so I was to, he wanted me to walk him up the, the aisle in the garden where they were getting mm-hmm. And so I took his arm or he took my arm. And in that moment, I realized what was that, what, why I was crying. And that was because I was giving away another, I was giving him away. Right. I was letting him go. And it felt very, it just, that whole feeling of letting my son go. Um, it's not a rational thing. <laughs> I know he's still with me, mm-hmm. but. I, it, it, um, it overwhelmed me. Yeah. It reminded you of your earlier loss. Absolutely. So that, that, that's a very important piece too. So it's very interesting to me that play has come to be a central theme in your work and your life. Was that a conscious choice? Um, or did you sort of come upon it? What led you to create and play as a central theme in your life and work? Well, after I gave birth um, to my surrogate son, and I realized I had this realization that I was to help myself and others, that it was, I was to create new, I was to create not babies, but other things in my mm-hmm. life and help other people do that. And that just kept coming to me. And I started to, um, have dreams that, uh, and one central dream was of one of my uh, doctoral teachers, who was my research teacher, um, who was a catalyst for me. I had, he was in the dream as an image and there were clowns and acrobats and tumblers and color, all kinds of playful um, beings in the dream. And I woke up and said, 
oh, it's about play and creativity. Mm. And I started to, during that time, take improv classes. I went to, I started to, I took an interplay, went to a, a woman's conference with my friend. She went to all these intellectual talks and I went to singing and interplay. And um, just kept doing that. And I was, what I was doing was revisiting play. And I went, went back and did a lot of the things, which I do, and that I loved in my childhood. Mm. And I just kept investing and I started to meet other people that were play advocates and play mentors of all kinds. And, um, and one thing led to the other. And then, and I had a dream um, that uh, not only my memoir title, but also my play equals, play equals peace came through a dream. Almost everything that's important to me comes through my dreams. And so um, I just, and you know, people just all kinds of synchronicities kept telling me this is what, is the gig for you, girl. Mm. And, so, that's what I and I am totally, uh, I totally, absolutely believe in the power and importance and value of play and that it mm. is a portal to creativity. And How that, do you... and that play is of even more importance when we are grieving, when we have challenges, when we have life changes that instead instead of digging in seriously, we need to dig in playfully. Yeah, speak to that a little bit more, Mary Ellis. How do you play when you're grieving? How can someone who is really steeped in that darkness, um, feeling completely hopeless and helpless, rise up from that and begin to play? Well, you know, as you were saying, and I, to, I believe this too, that grief is, there's many different kinds of grief. Um, and that we grieve every, we're grieving every moment because we're, we're dying every moment. <laughs> we are right. literate, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, you can look at it like I do in many different ways on a continuum. So there's the little griefs that we have when we see, well, I'll just use an example of, oh, I don't know, you know, like, it's not really a little grief to me, but I'll use it as an example, a, a wildflower dying. Hmm. To me, a big grief, but we'll just use a, a little, little flower dying. And then our parents dying, you know, is a bigger, hmm. our child, a child dying. Um moving from one country to another and not having any real say-so in it with a lot of our immigrants. I mean, there's so many different, as you look at different people, different kinds of grief. Um, Cancer, we have in our family, we've had lots of cancer and the losses that come, the takeaways that come from being ill. Um, So there's just so many different levels of that, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and so... Um, and so I forgot the question. I went off on that. I told no, you. I was trying to um, ask you about how can people who find themselves in the darkness of grief yes, play? Okay. So uh, some of that is easier to play with than others. Um, but uh, I'll give an example of a larger grief that 
for me, play was a was central. I might even when we talked, I might even shared this with you. But um, when my uh, dad was dying in hospice, um, I had for a time not even wanted to see him, and had told my brother, one of my six brothers, that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother said, "Well, I'm disowning you then." And I said, "Well, I just can't do that right now." So then he did call later. And he told me that something else was happening with dad, that he was getting closer to, sounded like getting closer to dying. Mm. And so I said, well, I'm, I'm showing up. And he said, hallelujah, she's showing up. So great. So my dad was in hospice uh, a couple days later and I sat with him and um, I kept staying overnight because I don't know why. I mean, I had a ferry to take home. I, I wanted to go home, but I kept having this feeling I need to stay. So I stayed. No one else stayed. I stayed. Um, the old, Actually, the oldest daughter of eight. And I stayed with my dad. And um, then this nurse or social worker, I guess it was one of the nurses, said to me, oh, let's sit down and talk in the middle of the night. And I said, okay. So I told her about my dad. I was telling her about my dad. And um, she said, I think you should tell your dad everything you, everything that you have to say to him. Mm. And I thought, oh, right. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I did. I thought about it, and I did. And what, not only did I do that, but I took myself out I mean, during that whole time, I realized I needed to play because play is so much a part of my every day. Everything in my life, I think play. Play with this, play with that. So I'm going to play with this, especially in hard moments. It comes right up now because I have practiced this for so long, Uma. So I took myself, I said to the nurses and social workers, so where can I, you know, what's around here? There's a garden. So I went out to the garden. There was a swing, a tire swing. I got mm-hmm. on that swing and, oh, that made me feel so, fat, you know, just so much lighter. And I could reflect in the garden and I walked the garden and then and all the colors and I noticed um, different things in the garden. And then I, I found the chapel. I went in the chapel, I sang, I chanted, I said everything I needed to say, and this was before mm-hmm. I talked to my dad, and then I went and talked to my dad. So all of that, may, I would not be talking about my dad in the way that I do now, thinking about him. I would be angry. Mm. I would be um, just in a different state than I am today about my, my father. And so um, I feel it. I know that it also made a difference for him um, because when I told him everything after and, and I was playing along the way, um, he got, he was very sedated with medication, all this stuff. And he, the nurse said about half an hour later after I talked to him, um, Oh, your dad is so upset. I don't know what happened. He's like moving around and he's all, Mm. and I knew what had happened. So that play was not only good for me, but it helped me to do that. It helped me to enter into that space where I could talk to my dad. And believe me, I told him as much as I could in that moment. (laughs) 
and uh, get it out, get it out. And um, then not only was I helped, uh, my youngest brother, the youngest of our eight, of the, of the six brothers, I should say, I took him out to play in the garden and had him get on the swing. And he's like, what do you want me to do? And I said, <laughs> get on that swing. So he did. And um, he then, well, actually then after my father died, his wife, who I barely knew, I only had been at the wedding, maybe talked to her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, she came to me that morning after I called people, oh, everybody to come in, the dad had died. And she said, um, well, so did you, you told your dad everything, didn't you? You told him everything and that you had to say, and I, I bear, I didn't even know this woman. Maybe she, I mean, I just, she knew my name and she knew as her husband's brother, but that's it. And so, um, and I said to her, well, um, yes, I did. And she said, well, I would like, I think it would be really good for, um, your brother to do the same thing. And so I talked to him and he went in and talked to after, you know, dad was already gone, but in the sense of his body, but he went in and talked to my dad and he, you could just, he, when he walked in and when he walked out, it was in, amazingly, it was amazing to see him, how different he looked so much lighter. So that's what an example of what I mean by play and difficulty, because believe me, that was a very, very difficult, you know, growing up with my father was very difficult and um, mm. for me and, um, and for my youngest brother and a lot of things happened and we had a lot to carry there. And then, you know, people go out angry, screaming sometimes, not mm-hmm. that, hopefully not that many but some people do they cannot let go they cannot grieve and and let go so um so i'm happy that i'm so happy that that happened the way it did but i believe it's because of play i'm really grateful you shared the story mary ellis because it brings such an important point to the forefront of our conversation, which is that you can really shift the energy once you make a conscious intention to, to do so. And you can, even if you've had a difficult relationship with a loved one on the physical plane, when it comes time for them to die and you've been carrying all these unspoken words and hurts and baggage, it is possible to let it go. And how wonderful that you did that using play. I think that's such an important message for listeners that you can use play to lighten that, the energy around that, the heaviness around that and find a a doorway to move into that space and complete what remains unfinished. That's wonderful. So as we wind down our wonderful chat, what do you want people to know about play equals peace? Well, um, I would like them to know that they can work with me one-on-one and uh, they can find that information on playequalspeace.com. And um, I'm also, uh, they can find me, if they just put in Google Mary Alice Long or play equals peace spelled out, they can, they'll give it, that will give them the breath 
everyone who's listening, you can have the breadth of what it means to, for, you know, in terms of my work. I'm also a, a depth-oriented uh, mentor and coach, and I gave up my psychotherapy license a couple years ago uh, because my work had changed so much, and I'm no longer doing psychotherapy. But I believe in um, the power of look exploring through the lens of depth psychology and that's one of the forms of my play and so um, I blend play and uh, depth psychological approach uh, which is very different from many other mentors and coaches out there so if you appreciate that or want to know more you can find me um, on easily through my websites, but also you can call me at 206-200-4542. Mary Alice, this has been such an inspiring conversation. I have to say, I can't wait to read your memoir. So you have to let me know when it's published. That's the deal. <laughs> Thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> it's been, it's the longest, well, I know that there's other writers who have been writing as long as I have, but it's a long-standing memoir, yes. So I'm looking forward to getting it published and out there. Wonderful. For all you listeners um, who haven't read my memoir, it's called Losing Amma, Finding Home, a memoir about love, loss, and life's detours. It's available on Amazon, both as a print version and as um, in Kindle format. So you can head over to Amazon to find that. I will be back next week with another edition of The Grammar of Grief. In the meantime, as Mary Alice says, no matter what you're going through, just believe that play is healing and do whatever you can to play. Take good care, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Grammar of Grief with Uma Girish. If you enjoyed the program, please leave a review and rating on iTunes. Connect with Uma at www.umagirish.com. That's U-M-A-G-I-R-I-S-H.com for grief guidance and inspiration.